There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome to Baseball Barbecue, the only podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network that got a hit off of Lucas Giolito back on August 25th. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. We are the Cespedes Family Barbecue. Jordan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I mean, Lucas, he looked great, but we just stayed with that changeup. Unlike Cole Tucker, we were able to make contact uh, with that changeup. He looked really solid through nine, but we got him in the top of the 10th. No one was watching, uh, but it did happen. Uh, Jordan, it is a pleasure to talk to you. Today, this podcast is going to feature a couple different things. We're going to basically give you a mid-season standings, zoom in, zoom out, whatever, focus. Where are the teams? Who's good? Who's bad? Who's going to make the postseason? Who's not? Where's the bubble? Not the one in Orlando. Then we're going to have Ryan Rucco on to talk about the Yankees, Jordan. Finally, the Yankees. Heard of them? I know. Them? We've been we've been we've been putting off Yankee chat for a long time. We wanted to wait until they were in second place uh, to, to start talking about them. Um, but yes, yeah, so we, we're going to talk to Ryan uh, all about the Yankees. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Yankees Rays stuff, but we'll get into that before we we bring Ryan in. Um, and then, uh, of course, we'll do good, bad, ugly. And then uh, at the very end of the show, of course, we are going to say rest in peace to Tom Seaver, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Uh, got that sad news yesterday, so we're going to make sure we pay tribute to Tom Terrific at the end. But Jake Mintz. One of the goats. We, one of the one goats. One of the goats. One of the goats indeed. Uh, let us uh, begin, though. We have to talk about the postseason picture, which finally, finally, after after weeks mm. of of begging for it for for on the MLB at bat app we have officially on the at bat at bat app a real postseason standings tab that reflects this bizarre postseason that we are going to have in 2020 which of course to remind you folks uh is eight teams in both leagues oh my god that's a lot of baseball teams making the postseason the first uh and second place teams from all three divisions plus the next two best records in the league. Now, that's important distinction because those eight seeds will not be ordered in order of best record the way that they are in the NBA. It'll be in order of best record between the first and second place teams for the first six and then the next best records, which is important because that's very I likely. I did not follow that. I, I, I don't understand it. And uh, I got it in front of me and I'm not even going to try to like have you parse it out. I'll get it as we go. And if any of you listeners are in my shoes, then uh, that, give my shoes back. Okay, let's start with the American <laughs> League, Jordan Schusterman. Starting All at right. the top, 
where the top two teams in the American League are the two wildcard teams from last year, the Tampa Bay Angel Rays and the Oakland Unathletics. The Rays sit atop the American League with a record of 26 and 12, the best team in the American League East. Uh, this is a very simple one. They're good. Like they're in. They're good. They're going to make the postseason. They're probably going to win the division. Yeah, they look great. Um, they have been decimated by more pitching injuries in particular than any other team. And yet here they are bringing out D3 legends like Josh Fleming, waiver mm. claims like John Curtis, Edgar Garcia. They're like, it doesn't matter who throws the uniform on for Tampa Bay. If they're pitching the baseball, they're probably really good uh, when they're on the race. So yeah, we feel good about them. We knew they were going to be good, but it is has been impressive how they've been able to kind of backfill those injuries. Now, the interesting thing about the American League, just stepping back here for a second, is that it's relatively pretty settled. There's a pretty clear top eight teams, the Rays, like we talked about, Oakland, Cleveland, the White Sox, Houston, the Yankees, the Twins, and the Blue Jays are all pretty solidly in. Those eight teams, if it's not one of those eight, the next three clubs behind the Blue Jays for the eighth seed are the Tigers, the Orioles, and the fucking Mariners. And the chances of one of those teams making it is astronomically low. And so, unfortunately, it feels like this next month of American League Baseball is going to just be jostling for position in those eight, unless someone bombs out of that group. It does feel like, though, Toronto, by making the moves they did at the deadline, made us more confident. Like, let's say the Blue Jays didn't trade for VR, Taiwan Walker, Ross Stripling, then we would be more likely to group them in with these other bad teams, especially since they're missing Bichette, and be like, oh, they might fall back. But now it feels like they should have enough yeah. kind of to, to backfill and to have the these new trade deadline acquisitions that should make them comfortably the eight seed ahead of. Because again, Tigers, Orioles, Mariners, if you listen to the season previews, those are supposed to be three of the four worst teams in the league. <laughs> um, and right. now here they are closer than the Red Sox and Angels, LOL. Right. And so, you know, unless those teams right now, the Tigers, uh, I believe, are like two back of the Blue Jays, two and a half back. The Orioles are three and a half back. Mariners around five back. That amount of games in our 162 game season minds doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a ton of games now. Right. Again, anything can happen in a week, but that's a bigger mountain to climb than I think we think it is with, you know, with the amount of games we've already played. So like, I'm honestly looking at the AL. We don't even have to go team by team here. Cause like, yeah, I, f we can talk about this when the postseason starts, you know, like maybe on October 1st podcast, Bobby will clip me saying that when we have the Orioles <laughs> and Tigers as the four or five seeds. But like, if I'm wrong about that, then hell yeah, that's great. I just, I don't see a lot of shuffling happening here. I, I agree. The, the only thing I'm, I'm going to be watching most closely is how the AL Central sh uh, kind of shakes out because this yeah. is the, the division that we've been laughing at for the last few years. And now they have Cleveland, Chicago, and Minnesota who are all very, I'd say, pretty even. I'd, I'd lean Cleveland at this yeah. point as the best team in that group. Um, but like where that those end up, because that's going to be relevant because the team that finishes in third is going to have the seven seed, not the fourth or fifth. Um, and that is going to make a big difference. But I agree with you. I think those eight teams are pretty settled. And unless something crazy happens, which I guess we hope it does because it might involve the Orioles or Mariners, uh, we're going to push the American League to the side and jump over to the NL where shit is way crazier and way more interesting. So 
In the National League, again, at the top, it's even less interesting than it is with the Rays. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball. It's not even close. They're 28 and 10. They just walked off the D backs with like a totally bullshit, not even impressive win. But of course, you knew they were going to win because they just it was win. The Dodgers. They just win they those just games. Win. They just win those games. They're on a like 119 win pace. Like they're, <laughs> they're the best team. We knew they were the best team, and I'm glad that they are playing like it. It's the way that we have treated the Dodgers this year on this podcast is almost like how it, it, it reminds me more of how NBA teams get talked about where like after a certain point, they go in cruise control for the second half of a season and no one's talking about them till the playoffs. Same thing happens a lot in like college basketball, right? Where it's like, oh, Gonzaga's going to be a one seed and like, here they go, but like they're going to win their conference tournament, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have to talk about the Dodgers until October. We right. don't like they're, it's just practice now. I think I think the NBA is a better comp. Like you talk about, like the Clippers, like they barely even play their normal lineups, and they're just resting. And then like the Dodgers are just like messing around, like ah, we'll just throw Lux in the lineup. Let's try some stuff out. Like it doesn't matter. We're still probably gonna win. <laughs> they had Edwin Rios at third base last night. Like they're yeah. just like <laughs> fuck it. Turner's hurt. He's resting. It doesn't matter. They're gonna win. I mean, dude, I said I said before the season, like if they win 50 games, I wouldn't be shocked. Okay, at this point I'd be shocked because that means they're going undefeated the rest of the way. But 40 is a lot of wins in a 60 game season. And I and think 45 is super in play. Like super yeah. duper in play. Uh, so, so the Dodgers, Dodgers are in. This is not a hot take. The Dodgers are gonna make the postseason. They're and they're in. gonna be the one seed. I'm just they're saying that right now. Seed. That is Absolutely. their number one. Yes. Boom. Okay. Now, there are three other teams that I feel comfortable locking into the postseason at present. Now, these teams all have some flaws. They are not as good, I would say, as most of the American League teams that are in the postseason. Like, I honestly, like, feel better about the Twins than I do about the Cubs. Um, but the Cubs, the Braves, and the Padres are the two, three, and four right now in the NL. I feel like they'll be in. Whether or not they're going to be in those spots, Cubs, Braves, Padres, for them to not make it at this point would be kind of a big collapse. In in the way that the AL Central has surprised in its uh, competency, the NL Central has disappointed to the degree where it has basically just been the Cubs that have been good and everybody else has been a bit of a mess um, for a variety of reasons. And we'll get into some of those teams in a second. But I totally agree with you. Um, and also the NL East, I would say, that the Braves, who have had a lot of things also go wrong for them, and yet they are still comfortably in first. And then, of course, the Padres. This has been a Padres podcast all season long. You don't have to know where we stand about the Padres. Uh, they have impressively kind of locked themselves into that second spot for the NL. I think it's interesting to group the Padres. They get grouped with the White Sox a lot. But I think for the purposes of the trade deadline, I want to group them with the Blue Jays, where the Padres pre-deadline were better than the Blue Jays pre-deadline. But... They both kind of went from cute and plucky to legitimate, like they go up a tier in quality by the moves they made at the deadline. And I think the Padres, by going and getting Clevenger, you know, they're they're going to be fine. That right. leaves four spots left. Those four spots are the second spot in the National League East, the second spot in the National League Central, and the two wild card spots are up for grabs. As it sits right now, the Phillies have the East spot, the Cardinals have the Central spot, and the Marlins and the Rockies sit at seven and eight. Jordan Schusterman, of these four teams, Phillies, Cardinals, Marlins, Rockies, how many of them make the postseason at the end of the year? 
Um, I think, man, honestly, the only one I'm confident in is is the Phillies. Weird, okay. which is insane. If I had said that a week, so let's ago. talk about the Phillies for a quick second. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, they were a catastrophe. They were like getting swept by the Orioles. They were dropping pop ups. They sucked. They looked like a disaster, and it looked like there was no hope. And you know, we've talked about my love for Joe Girardi on this podcast before. Man knows how to drive a bus, baby. He just does. He just does. And they've turned it around. They're the fifth best team in the division. Hoskins has been great. Zach Wheeler has been a revelation. He's been incredible. Harper has been Harper. And like, I think they're on the up. And I wouldn't lock them in with those other four teams. But they're also, to me, a cut above the rest of the teams we're going to talk about. That's the thing. Uh, The ceiling for them is way higher than that of these other teams. For sure. Um, and that's that's kind of where I feel the best about them because they are still a team with not just a giant payroll, but with like some of the best players in the game. Haven't even mentioned Real Muto yet, who's been every bit of the best catcher in baseball that they have needed him to be. And the bullpen, which was the worst in baseball a week ago, has still been really bad, but they've managed to hang on for more of those wins. And in a short season, those wins that they managed to survive are right. exponentially more important. Look, the Detroit Tigers won like three or four straight American League Centrals with you, me, and, uh, and Bobby and Wagner Phil Coke. and <laughs> Phil Coke in their bullpen. Like it can be done, and the Phillies might have to do it. Okay. Then we have three spots left. Jordan, let's start with the National League Central. Who do you think gets yeah. that second spot? Right now, the Cardinals, uh, the Brewers, and the Reds are two and a half games apart of one another. All these teams are very flawed. None of them are, like, awesome. I don't really know what to think here. All right. Here's how I'm, I'm breaking down these three teams. The Cardinals, first of all, have played the fewest games in baseball, obviously, because they were out for two weeks. Uh, They will have a ridiculous stretch. I believe they still have like seven more doubleheaders to play uh, over the next month. So I don't know if that is going to help or hurt them, probably hurt them. But that is a big thing to consider with them. And pure talent wise, I think I probably would have St. Louis atop this group. But I don't like the road that they have to travel. Milwaukee has been offensively one of the worst teams in the league by far. If they didn't have Christian Yelich and Keston Hira, it'd be one of the worst offenses we've ever seen in baseball. And they're already down at those depths. And I just don't, I don't feel good about the Brewers. I haven't the whole You're season. You're a huge non-believer. I was, a, I was a non-believer from the beginning, but there they are. They're still, you know, a game back of St. Louis. And then Cincinnati, you know, coming into this year, it was all about, especially with the small season, it was like White Sox, Padres, Reds, White Sox, Padres, Reds, White Sox, Padres, Reds. That's what it was the last two years as, as all three of those uh, teams started to make big moves. And it's become very clear how those three, uh, we knew that they weren't all going to surprise and be awesome. And it seems that the Reds have been the one to fall into continue to disappoint mode, even though, you know, Moustakis has been good and they made more trades for Archie Bradley and, and Brian Goodwin. So I'm not counting the Reds out, but like there's just something about that team that I don't feel wonderful about. So hmm. I would still rank them right now. St. Louis, Cincinnati, Milwaukee. I, I don't think the Reds are dead. I still like them more than the Brewers a lot. Uh, but I still, man, the Cardinals, I don't know. I kind of trust Schilt in some weird way. Like looking at the Reds, the thing with them is that everyone who we were expecting to be very good, like Mustakas has actually been pretty bad. Oh, since this, since he got, okay. I know he, he's started been hurt. Up hot. He's, yeah. he's been pretty bad. 
Suarez has been underwhelming. Akiyama has been been awful. Yeah, that's a bad one. And, you know, they've had a lot of other injuries. I think the Reds are the team of these three playing below their potential. And for that reason, combined with the Cardinals having to play, you know, quintuple headers so that they can get to 60 games for no reason at all, (laughs) I would take Cincy, even though they're currently two and a half back of St. Louis, I would lean towards them. Yeah. Uh, based upon the arms. Yeah. And and honestly, and, again, there's also still then two more spots. So I would like Cincy to grab well, right. a seven or eight at that point. Let's um, talk about those last two spots right now, Jordan. It is the miracle lens. Unbelievable. The Miami Marlins at 16 and 16, hovering in that seven spot. The Rockies in the eighth spot. Now, these two teams were both not supposed to be here. They both got off to incredible starts and they both have been slowly trickling down the mountain over the last couple of weeks. And they're hanging on at the edge of the cliff. Jordan Schusterman, who do you believe in more, the Marlins or the Rockies? Oh, my God. So the Marlins pulled off the the vaunted buy and sell uh, move at the deadline, <laughs> which I will say, though, like, Starling Marte is way better than Jonathan VR. So, like, they did get right. better. Like, I mean, it's hard to deny that they they did get better. If they get Isan Diaz back, like, yeah. and they bring up Jazz Chisholm, like, right. there's your second baseman. So, so and and man, the Rockies, like, this week has been such an, a, a wonderful encapsulation of why, as I said in the previews, the Rockies are going to be so ridiculous to watch during the season because they lost 23 to 5 to the freaking Giants, who we'll get to in a second. And then they win 9-6 yesterday, and they didn't look great in either of them. Obviously, they looked terrible in 23-5, but it was like, well, here they are, still a game ahead of the Giants. When you see a team lose 23-5, you think, this team should be demoted to low A, <laughs> right? You're like, right. this like, team's so them, bad. Send like, them to League in. One. Exactly. Send them like, to go play, like, Coventry City or... Forest Green Rovers. You should be like put in MLB timeout for a week for losing that badly in a real game. And yet, hey, the next day's a new day. You go and win another baseball game and they're still ahead of the Giants. So it's like, that is the nature of the Rockies. I'm sure we're going to have other ridiculous Coors Field situations. I do not believe in them. I don't hate them as much as you do. I would not be stunned to see them still end up in the eighth seed at the end of the season. I just wouldn't because I know that anything's possible with this weird team in this weird ballpark. But um, I don't, I don't feel great about them. So honestly, I'm leaning, I'm, I am leaning towards the Marlins now. They have Sixto, who's like a legit freaking guy, man. If Sixto gets in for the eight seed, like mm. Sixto, imagine Sixto gets the Dodgers in the first game of the postseason. Like, come on, like I, I they have enough pieces now where I, I do think they're like a legit major league team. And so I'm, I'm kind of, I, I kind of am leaning Miami in that regard. Okay, I think the Rockies and the Giants are going to fall off, and I think that last spot. Is gonna. I think the Marlins are gonna hold on, and I you kind of just convinced me that they will. They're at least gonna be in it. Um, I think the Mets, the the Mets. (laughs) I think, I think they can do it. I really do. I think they're Todd Frazier now. Now that they have Todd Frazier, I mean, come on. Now that they have Robinson Chirinos and Miguel Castro, I think this is the Mets team to do it. Like, wow! Just they just got to make it close. And here's the thing, man. The Mets to me are so college baseball e right now because in a postseason series it's like we got to got we got to grama game one and then you just patch the rest together and cross your fingers anything can happen and i want to see that i want to see three. the dude the mets is the eight seed going up against the dodgers oh my where like God. you win game one with the grom and it's like 
<laughs> then it's so it's Dodger Con one. So I do think, and I'm sure Bobby's pulling his hair out right now, um, talking about acting like the Mets have hope, which I know most of us don't believe they have any. Uh, but I look, man, they're a more talented team than the Brewers and the Giants and the Rockies by far. Um, and I know that doesn't matter when you're the Mets, Bobby. You, you have you have some thoughts on this, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just four teams. Wait, so are you suggesting that four teams from the NL East might make the playoffs? Uh, yes, yes. So the and, Marlins and the and Mets the, would both make it, and the one that oh, won yeah, the World Series last year will not. Did not. Yeah, exactly. The only the only team that doesn't make the playoffs is the team that won the World Series last year. No, I think more likely that they would have to catch the Marlins. But okay. 1-8 matchup against the Dodgers. They're getting absolutely hammered. They're they're losing both of those games. They're they're no, not right. winning either of those yeah. games. With you're DeGrom, right. it doesn't matter. This is not... They had magic five years ago when they played the Dodgers, and they clearly they had something going with that terrible lineup and those amazing pitchers, and it's all gone. The pitchers are not there. There's nobody to come in after DeGrom. And who's starting game two? Who's, who? J- Jake Mintz. Doesn't matter, dude. No, no, no. Answer the question. <laughs> Who is starting game two against the uh, Dodgers? Robert. The team with Robert, like five MVP candidates. Robert Gesellmans. Mm, yeah. I, honestly, here's the I go, thing, Bobby. I'm not picking the Mets in a three-game set against the Dodgers. I'm not dumb. My point we just want is, them to get there. Here's what I would do. You know what? I would hold DeGrom back. I would hold it back. Throw him game two. <laughs> get weird with it. The most Mets thing ever would be get if DeGrom started game get one. Get that matchup against Kershaw. <laughs> no, the most DeGrom thing ever would be if he started game one and they lost and then they won games two and three with like David Peterson and Michael yes. Waka starting. Yes. No, no, no they hey, win man. game two. They win game two. And then in game three, they're down like five to two and they bring DeGrom in for like six scoreless innings of relief and they just lose anyway. That's what it would be. Oh, that would be some elite strategy. All right. Well, too much Mets chat. To your point, to your point. So you're saying you're saying, though, you think the Mets could be in there with the Marlins, which I think is crazy. But I I see what you're getting at. Um, I think on talent, the Mets and Reds should be way ahead of these other teams. Um, I think it will be the six and seven will be some combination of St. Louis and Cincinnati. And I think the Marlins will be the eight. That's what I'm rooting for. And that's what it will be. So there you go. Love it. I'm I I am rooting for a tie for the eight seed, Jordan. I give me even more baseball Dude, squeezed it's, into it's looking. I mean, again, we always look at it in the beginning of September, like, oh, you know, we right. want craziness and it doesn't shake out. But this year, man, it's really could be there. Now, uh, teams uh in the NL I'm willing to cross off my list are the Diamondbacks, who sold at the deadline, the Washington Nationals, who are sleepwalking through the season, other than uh Juan Soto, which look. And Trey Turner. We talked about this at the beginning of the year. And Trey Turner. Fine. Like, Doesn't matter. They have Super okay. the lowest stakes. They just won the real season. And this doesn't matter to Nats fans. If they lose, it's fine. It's totally fine. And then I'm crossing the Pirates off because they are 10 and 24. Jordan Schusterman. In the American League, a team that exists is the New York Yankees. How about that yes. transition? People that know about them yeah. around the world. They are the most famous baseball team. Their fans number the millions in Europe. If you've ever been to Europe, everyone's got a hat. They all love David Hale. They're sad he got traded. Jordan, the Yankees are in the news again. Why is that? 
Yeah, they are. Uh, and they got in a, a bit of bit of a scuffle. The, the kind of beanball war that we hate here at Baseball Barbecue. Um, I know we did a whole episode about brawls before the season started. And we like those because they're weird. And because at the time, uh, or before pandemics, brawls were more okay. And you could actually get within six feet of each other and fight each other for stupid reasons. So... I am legitimately not even going to bother recounting what has happened with the Rays and Yankees over the last few days because so much of it ends up just being, well, but this happened three years ago. Well, but this happened in this game. Well, but this happened in this game. And that's what you're going to hear from Yankees and Yankees fans and Yankee haters and Rays fans, whatever. And honestly, I don't care because as we just laid out, if you're throwing at anybody on purpose for any reason, you're stupid and it's dangerous and you shouldn't do that. So I, I just, it's just not complicated. We could review, oh, well, Kittredge said this in 2018, and Kevin Cash is saying this. Like, yeah, it's all dumb. If there's any reason that you're throwing at someone, we're not going to like it. So that's kind of it. If you're willing to threaten, like, Brandon Lowe's, Brandon, God damn it, Jake. If you're willing to threaten Brandon Lowe's career because Andrew Kittredge said something you didn't like three years ago, just say that out loud to yourself. Yeah. And, and it exactly. will ring as silly as you think it is. Now, neither of these teams are more morally up. No one has the moral high ground. It seems like, you know, Aroldis Chapman did do some tower buzzing and then Kevin Cash did some tower buzz threatening. So it's like no one here is like a morally upstanding citizen. This is not like Mother Teresa going toe to toe with Mother Teresa. This is not right. what this is. And by the way, when Ben Heller gets thrown out for hitting Hunter Renfro last night and is like, I didn't mean it. Listen, this is what you get for being involved in this is that sometimes it is an accident and it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're going to get thrown out of the game. And sorry, Ben Heller, that's what you all signed up for. So yep. uh, not Ben Heller's fault. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So that's uh, that's pretty much where we stand on it. And honestly, I don't think I agree that like the Kevin Qu Cash quotes are spicy and like, yeah, that's nice. But the best part about the whole thing was Mike Brasso hitting two homers. That yeah. was freaking awesome. And that is the best outcome is owning them and laughing at them on the field, playing actual baseball instead of throwing the baseballs at them. Absolutely. Now, things have not been peaches, cream, roses, butterflies for the New York Yankees this year, Jordan Schusterman, as the team has dealt with a rash of injuries. It's always bad to deal with a rash. And so to help us on, to, to, to guide us through this rash, we're welcoming in a very, very special guest. Calling Ryan Ruoco, studio microphone, baseball, basketball, blowing star. All right, we are now very excited to be joined by fellow Ringer podcast host and man of many talents. You hear him all across the airwaves, Mr. Ryan Ruoco. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me, man. I, I, I've been a fan for a while, and um, I'm pumped to get to be on the pod with you guys. So, Ryan, you've obviously, as a broadcaster in 2020, I know you're doing less traveling, but you're still just as busy. Uh, so we're going to try to stay focused. Here's a lot we can cover with you. We're going to keep it Yankee-centric, because shockingly, we realized that about yeah. halfway through the season, Jake, we really haven't talked about the Yankees very much. You know, we. I will say, Jordan... We have not talked about the Yankees. We did do an entire episode on how the Red Sox fucking suck. So <laughs> that is That's still true. geared towards Yankee fans, even though we're not like getting into Giancarlo Stanton. 
yes, yes, that's that's a good point. But okay, so so Ryan, let's 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 begin uh, with with some some kind of broad broad strokes here. The New York Yankees are currently uh, in second place in the American League East, and I guess that's a good place to start. Even with all the injuries, which we dealt with last year, and we're dealing with again this year. Are you surprised halfway through the season that the New York Yankees are in second place? No, I'm not. I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm not surprised for a couple reasons. One, I'm not surprised because I, I really felt strongly that the Rays were going to be great uh, this year, and especially, I feel like they're sort of crafted for this unique situation. You know, they have uh, a very uncanny ability to go game to game and to devise ways to win an individual game on an individual day, right? And to you know, keep their focus organizationally on a day-to-day uh, and to squeeze more wins out of their roster than you would expect them to. That is now, I think, an endemic part of the Rays organization. So it's not surprising to me that they are in first place, and it's not surprising to me that the Yankees are in second rather than first or rather than fifth because they have, one, dealt with, serious injuries, which has obviously played a critical role in their inability to be in first place. I mean, you could just go back to the start of the season, losing Severino and how much that altered the way the rotation was going to look, right? Even though some of the other guys ended up healthy for the start of the season. But then I also think, you know, if you look at how the season was progressing, the Yankees looked like they were a first place team. All of a sudden they get hit with a deluge of injuries. And now they don't have enough to make up for, you know, the margin that that was between them and the Rays, and 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 yet they still have enough to not totally crumble and fall off the table. And so I think that's where they are, pretty much where I'd expect them to be, given the way their season's gone with health. And you know, obviously the injuries shape so much of this conversation in a way that I'm sure when you're following the team day to day, just becomes mind-numbingly infuriating. Yeah. Which injury this year was the one where you were like, this shit again? Like, uh, was there (laughs) one where you were like, how is this happening a second time? Well, it's interesting because the Yankees, to their credit, they reworked their entire performance team, right? And I have seen firsthand with the Brooklyn Nets, who I broadcast games for, just what an impact having... Um, a high-quality performance team can do uh, for the physical and athletic gains of players um, and also for you know getting your players on the court as much as possible at peak efficacy. That's not to say that you're not going to have injuries and things aren't going to come up. Of course you are. You're not playing in a sterile atmosphere. But I really do believe in the science behind you know the way that these staffs can Right. At least, you know, manipulate the health to some degree. Uh, so I felt good about that. But I think the pandemic kind of throws it all out the window, you know, or 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 significantly alters it. So I, I think Stanton, you know, I kind of, ex- you expect something to come up at some point, right? So I, I think it was just when there was hit after hit after hit in a short period of time. It wasn't necessarily one injury more than any other. But like when it went boom, 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 boom in like a you know week or two week span, and I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like this is why you made the changes to your performance team so this wouldn't happen. But then I, I thought about it and I said, yeah, but like it's really hard to know all the underlying issues that these guys came in with or didn't 
because everybody was strapped in a different way as far as getting ready for the season goes. So, uh, I mean, I think the one that stings the most is Judge, and I think there's obviously some strange uh, undertones to the way both you know he and the organization has communicated before the initial injury and now after the second injury, right? Like you could see, you know, Brian Cashman called it a failed rehab, uh, which is you know pretty direct terminology yeah. from from the GM, and you know it obviously wasn't ideal for Judge to be very unhappy about going on the IL initially and then get hurt right away as soon as he's back. Um, and more so, it's just, I mean, he was playing like an MVP and then all of a sudden he's yeah. gone. I mean, he was, he, he was a guy who I'm watching him. I'm saying like, he has a legit shot to hit 25 homers in this, you know, 60 game season. This is ridiculous. So I think judge is the one that stings the most because the caliber of player and also sort of the, you know, the interesting conversation around it. But yeah. overall, man, I just think, uh, I think overall it's just like, ugh, is it, is it, is it just the pandemic? And the thing with Judge and Stanton is like, to me, they're like high-end sports cars where when they're working, it's unbelievable. But there are so many little things because of just, you know, they're physical freaks. Like Mm -hmm. we have not seen baseball players built like that. So there's just more room for things to go wrong when they get hurt, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that logic definitely makes sense. Um, you know, I, I, I'd be interested to see comps over the years. And especially when you look at, I was trying to even think like, what was Julius Peppers health like Mm. from an NFL standpoint? Because I always think of him when I think of Stanton and judge, because even in a sport that certainly displays more physical prowess, Peppers stood out as a completely unique asset, right? And judge and Stanton stand out as unique assets. I, I think in fairness to judge, he has had a couple fluky things happen that aren't just like muscle based, right? Like he got hit in the wrist or the hand area. That was his first big injury. Um, last year, diving and having something happen on a dive to whatever it truly was, rib, long, whatever it ended up being. Um, now, the oblique and the calf, those are muscle related and those are mm. ones that you worry about. But the other two, which kept him out for significant periods of time, I think we're a little more fluky. You know, Stanton now between knees and muscles, it's it's I think a little bit more consistent and a little bit more of a worry. And and it's guys, it goes back to a, a, something that always bothered me. It drove me nuts. And not be, just because I'm a huge Derek Jeter stan, but it drove me nuts when people used to say, oh, he's a compiler. He's a compiler. And I'd be like, yeah, you know what's great? Having someone who's able to compile. Like that in itself. <laughs> That's it, true. It, it, right? You're like, totally right. Because like you could say like, oh, if you take Nomar at his best. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, did, how how long was Nomar at his best? Like how, yeah. how long did Nomar have a chance to compile? Not long. You know, so right. I, I think in fairness now, it's hard to evaluate these guys and what they're going to consistently give you when you have questions about their availability. I think Stanton's now are a little bit more long-term concerning. Judge, I still don't have those concerns. Maybe eventually I will, but I don't as of now. That's the thing. Is like we, It's so easy to get wrapped up and be like, oh, this keeps happening to the Yankees. And like last year, I know it felt that way, and this year again. And maybe there is a reason to change the high performance and the, you know, the sports, the medical staff, whatever. But like it's still a small sample size of players. Yeah. Also, this year, 
Look around the league, man. It's like, not Tampa just the Yankees. Has the same Tampa's, shit. Tampa mostly with the pitchers, but Tampa's lost a huge number of pitchers. Even the Astros have lost Bregman. They've lost Alvarez. They've lost like guys are missing time all across the league. So it's easy to get caught up and be like, oh, this is a Yankee problem. Oh, it's about these players. But this year especially, it's like, who knows what we're even looking at. If it happens again next year, then we'll have you back on and you can talk <laughs> yeah, about yeah, it. Hopefully yeah, it yeah. doesn't. Hopefully it doesn't. Uh, uh, yes. uh, let's then, switch. Then we're reassessing. Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, now, despite not playing a whole lot. Aaron Judge is second on the Yankees in home runs still, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> Ahead of someone named Gary Sanchez. I, as someone who is not like involved in Yankees Twitter or involved in Yankees fandom, I get the sense that Gary Sanchez receives more scorn and criticism than really any other player in baseball from their own fan base. Now, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe a lot of that is on the defensive side. Do you feel like Yankees fans have turned on Gary or are they willing to kind of wait this out because we know what he can be? I think that the, the fan who has the most steady emotional state when it comes to evaluating their favorite baseball team understands the value of Gary Sanchez and why you yes. wait it out, you know? But I have to say, it, it, it's it's interesting to me, and I always I always think this, and I've talked about it once or twice. But like, there's a strange dynamic between Yankees and Knicks fans, where they are often the same people, but have polar opposite approaches to their respective teams. <laughs> and and like a, a diehard Yankee fan, who's also a diehard Nick fan, will somehow pick apart every aspect of all-star catcher Gary Sanchez's game and why he's the worst thing to happen to the franchise, but then totally defend why Frank Nilakina was actually a great pick. And it like it blows my mind. I don't I don't understand right. the sliding scales for each organization from the same exact people. And I see it from the same exact people in my own life. I I, I it confuses me to no end. That's a little bit of a tangent, but some window into the psyche. It's a great point. It's strange to me. And and I wish in the case of Gary Sanchez, that fan would take more of the Nick fan approach, appreciating the good and ignoring the bad. I, 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 especially because for Sanchez, I just think there's way more good than bad. I think what's fair to say about Gary is he has seemed to prove to be a streaky player. And And I've talked with Marcus Timms, Yankees hitting coach about this often over uh, recent years about how Gary is a guy who when you know he looks up at the scoreboard and he sees his numbers or not where he expects them to be, wants them to be, he tries to get eight home runs back in one swing. And obviously, you guys know baseball as well as anybody who has a microphone in front of them. You know when you do that, you end up in a much deeper hole. And so I think You're Gary's limited at four runs per swing. Four yeah. runs <laughs> per swing is the max. You can't go to five. Those are the rules. This isn't rock and jock baseball. Like, that's the way this works. So, yeah, I I mean, I think that's what it is. I think if Gary gets off to a tough start, I think he gets in his own head a little bit about how to get out of that, and he ends up digging a deeper hole, and eventually he'll find his way out of it because cream rises to the top. But I think those those poor stretches get prolonged because of kind of the his like his tense insistence on doing well. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes 
you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Uh, so... Again, let's focus on the players who are actually on the field and playing. And we'll, I want to get to Voight in a second because he's been filled in yeah. for Judge in some ways. He's been amazing. But we have to talk about Garrett Cole because they gave him the biggest contract in the history of pitchers. It was something that they've clearly been after, that Garrett Cole has been after to be a Yankee for so long. It finally happened. He's been there. He hasn't missed any starts. He's been really good. But like... Has he been good enough? Like, I'm looking at a 3 one ERA, and I understand that that's because he's given up a lot of home runs, and that's the nature of pitching in 2020. Um, but what have you thought of Garrett Cole so far, and has he been living up to expectations? I think he probably, you know, was going to have a hard time living up to the expectations <laughs> right. just because right. I think people, you know, given his just extraordinary greatness over the last couple of seasons, and especially last year and then in the playoffs i think people just expect him to throw shutouts every time out you know um and that's not realistic so i mean i think garrett cole's been very good uh i think he obviously can be a lot better and i think he would be the first person to say that and i I don't know if you guys look at it this way i have a hard time evaluating players this year yes in a way that like makes me extrapolate to future years I agree with you, hundred percent. Right? Super 100%. fair, and and also like if we're if we're fast forwarding a month when the Yankees are in the postseason, like they're still gonna have Garrett Cole going in the first right. game, and that's still gonna be better than almost every other team. So if I needed <laughs> so, to yeah. take a right, if I needed to, to 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 take a pitcher in baseball to save to win a game to save my life, like I'm probably still gonna go with Garrett <laughs> Cole, right? And yeah, if for the Yankees, so much of the season is just about like being ready to go on October 1st. And I'm sure that he will be Garrett Cole on October 1st. 
And that's that's kind of how I feel. You know, I mean, would you like to see him plow through every single regular season start? Yeah, yeah, of course you would. You know, do I think he can be significantly better than he's been? Yeah, I do. But do I have even the slightest bit of concern or worry about him being the guy the Yankees need him to be when they need him to be? I don't. I really don't. And and, and I don't think I'd have that concern regardless of the circumstances, but I especially don't have that concern given the irregularities. I mean, let's not forget, too, like, I mean, and, and uh, you know, Garrett was on R2C2 with CC and me, like, and he talked about this, like, he's definitely a dude who's bummed out not having fans in the stands. And, and I do think that, like, there are ways that this, like, you know, it, you, you can't totally account for it, and, and I don't know how to, you know, put some sort of quantifiable value on it, but there's definitely an effect and if it affects some guys more than others and i have no idea what kind of effect it has on garrett cole but just playing in this unique season makes me take a step back when i'm evaluating players and say okay like what's real here what's not and and what will get better once things are a little more normal right so i i i just i totally agree because like the baseball when we watch it like it still looks like garrett cole he's still throwing 99 with nasty stuff and like the, the, the players mostly look the same and I'm like, okay, this is baseball, but you know that it is affecting some players more than others and it is kind of hard to know exactly who those guys are. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Jake. As a Baltimore Orioles fan lifelong, I have spent 24, almost 25 years on this earth just, you know, hating the Yankees as one does. And <laughs> the 2017 Yankees were the first Yankees team where I enjoyed watching them where I tuned in mm. and they were like a fun bunch. Yeah. Do you think that this team to neutral observers has maintained that sense of like joy and spark and verve that makes them appealing to someone like me who wants nothing more than to see the Yankees go zero and 60? No, I okay. definitely do not. I, I think that I think the second they traded for John Carlos Stanton, that went out the window for the person like you, Jake, who yeah, is, right. you know, and I think it, it that's how I think for the Yankee fan, the connection to this homegrown group and the hopes that they can be the core of a championship run and feeling tethered to their journey certainly still exists for the 2020 right. version as it did with the initial spark from 2017. But the 2017 Yankees, that's that's a Yankee team I adore. It's it's oh, probably yeah. it, you know, it's probably my my favorite non-championship Yankee team that I'm 33 that I've experienced in my lifetime. Um and you know, in a lot of it had a lot of the feeling of 96. You know, it had it had a lot of those same elements and and there was also this idea of like, you know, you were willing to as an organization, humbly admit we need to rebuild in 2016. And then you have this new burst of life in 2017 and, and you were actually exceeding expectations. How many seasons do the Yankees even have an opportunity to exceed expectations? Like it, it just, Great point. it doesn't happen. So uh, I think once the, once everybody kind of saw them as a championship team again, and then they added Stanton, which was a very like, you know, typical Yankee move, right? Bringing in the, the former MVP, the big star, I think the warm fuzzies from outsiders hmm. went, a, went away, even if they remained with the Yankee fan, which I think they did. And then 
Garrett Cole also. So yeah, kinda, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, as much as we know that Garrett Cole was a Yankees fan when he was five, it doesn't make us think that he that well, doesn't make him homegrown. So it was the second they gave up on Rob Ref Snyder for me, I was done. I, know. I was like, <laughs> God damn that it. That was it. No, you know who's a funny who's a funny like linchpin guy for that group in my mind? Todd Frazier. You know, he right. he, he was just like he he was just the way he enjoyed the game and and I mean, if you talk to guys from that team, they rave about what he did for the clubhouse, and you know, and and you know, it made sense for him right. to depart and and for the Yankees to move on. And obviously, you know, Miguel Andujar had an amazing 2018, but um, but yeah, he was he was a guy who I think actually played a central role in the likability of that group. You need an older player willing to have a good time. And a yeah, lot, and yeah. you usually need one pitcher and one hitter. And like CC was that to an extent, like towards the end of his career. But the Yankees don't necessarily like have, they don't have like a goofball now. Right. And I'm not saying You're, that every team he, needs like a Gerardo Para baby shark situation, but like, but like a good. Nick Swisher, Nick Swisher yeah, from like 09. You, yeah. Right. Like who's that guy? It's, is it, right. it's not, is it Brett Gardner? I like, don't know he, who it is. Who is it this year? I don't even know right. who I would say. I have no idea. Do you have an answer to that? <laughs> That's a really good question. I'm not sure who that guy would be on this team. You know, right. I mean, I they have a, um, I mean, over the last couple of years, something they built in 2017 that has continued is an incredible clubhouse with uh, remarkably strong chemistry and and I think really good leadership. And and I do put value in those things. And, and you know, Absolutely. obviously talent is the number one prerequisite. That's obvious. But those things matter. You know, they, they, they don't make up for not having talent, but they certainly matter once you do. And the Yankees, I think, have all those X-factor things that are important for a championship team. But I don't know who would be that guy. Per- Personality-wise, Britain? Like, is Britain the closest? He's great. He's, everybody, I mean, loves, he just seems... everybody loves Britain. Everybody yeah. loves Britain. He's... We got to get him back. You know, he's been on R2C2 yeah. in the past. Yeah, that was one we of the got, best episodes. Oh, uh, thank he's you, amazing. He's amazing. He's he is one of the coolest, nicest, most down-to-earth dudes. We got to right. get him back on uh, now that we're with the ringer. One of the best Dominican pitchers in baseball, for sure. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? It's so funny. He always jokes about that, how nobody realizes he's Dominican. But he's so funny. Well, Zach it, from Texas. He's exactly, clearly. <laughs> I spent time with his brother when I was in the Dominican like this past year with Buck. And he told me, he's like, yeah, Zach's never been here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's fine. He I owns it. it. He, he owns it. He owns it. Uh, okay, okay the, the the last guy I have to talk about, and then we'll, we'll, we're will we going to go from the, the number one most well, important person on the roster so far, and then we'll go to Eric Kratz. Well, we're going to get to Kratz. Okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. He might be but, that guy. He might he might be that guy. He might be that guy. But but let's let's quickly touch on touch on current tied for lead in home runs in the majors, Luke Voigt, who I mean, what he's doing right now is what he did for the second half of 2018 when they first mm-hmm. got like this is how good he was uh, when he first got there. And then last year he was he was very good, but not this level. Um, I mean, it's clearly been a godsend because the rest of the offense, while Judge and Stan and Torres have been out, have not been as good. Uh, is this, are you just used to this? You're just like, yeah, of course, Luke Voigt is one of the best hitters in the world. Like, this is normal. <laughs> you, you know what's funny? I, I want to say, like, shame on me and all of us for not being more confident that Luke Voigt would be this. I, I, like, I, I think we sort of forgot how good he is when he's healthy. Like, guys, last year, before he hurt himself in London, 
he in 78 games had a 901 OPS, had 17 home runs. I mean, he had an on-base percentage just under 400. This dude was a ridiculously productive hitter, and that was building off of what he had done in the second half of 2018, which was that burst onto the scene you talked about. So really, the only time we've seen him struggle when he's playing regularly in the majors was the end of last year when he clearly was not right as far as health goes. So I almost think like, because I love Mike Ford and I love his at-bats to the point that I I was like wondering like, should he be the starter over Voight? Like, what should the balance be? And now That's, I'm almost like, yeah. shame on me not to diminish Ford, who I still fully believe in, but I don't think I gave enough credit to Luke Voigt and the sample size he had put up in the majors when he was playing every day. And this is just like first half 2019, second half 2018. This yeah. is who this dude's been. He works his tail off, guys. He's got an amazing personality. You know, he was kind of one of those dudes at the end of 2018. He was like the, you know, with the jersey like open right. and like the the personality in that. And he definitely is a lovable guy with a lot of energy. Obviously, some of that dissipates once you become more established. I think we always see that, right? But um, until then, you're old, and then you get it back, and it's like, hey, we're happy for this guy, you know. But he, he, he's. He's just a really good hitter, man. He's a really good hitter who finally got his opportunity with the Yankees, and I think he's reminding people that when he's healthy, he's a stud. Yeah. My favorite Luke Voigt thing is on his baseball reference page, he is listed as first baseman, left fielder, and catcher. So funny. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know why. What? what why hasn't baseball caught, reference changed that? I'm not sure. He caught 43 games in his first year in the minors, and yeah. hasn't caught since then. Yeah, <laughs> so it's but I'm like, saying that's a long time ago now. Like, hey, I mean, is he a worse catcher than Gary but, Sanchez? Okay, I'm kidding. But, I'm kidding. But, I'm no, kidding. No, I'm but that's like I'm listing just, like <laughs> that's like listing Posada as a second baseman on his baseball <laughs> reference. Page. It's exactly you know what I mean? like that. It you is exactly there's, like that. There's some Yankee fan who's like, hey, maybe we put Luke Voigt back there. Like, hey, maybe he's a guy. I don't know. But, but can I tell you the one thing along those lines that always like it, it? Well, two things. One, it always blows my mind when people are like, maybe, you know, just judge have to be moved to first. And I'm like, have you watched Aaron Judge play right field? He's a gold glove caliber yeah. right fielder. Like, wh why would you ever move him off of? Right field because he's big. Well, I, have you seen him run? He runs just fine, you know. In injuries right. aside, the guy is a stud outfielder. And then with Gary, I also think like I think people are too hard on his defense because his errors and his mistakes are just like the ugly looking kind. Right. And so then you conveniently use that as confirmation bias and totally forget about all the strides and the he's made defensively and all the good work he's done. Yeah. You know, I who doesn't also, make mistakes behind the plate yeah. is Eric Kratz, Jordan. <laughs> Eric nice Kratz. transition, Jake. Thank you. Yes. So Our I did some digging on topic. this today. I did some digging on this today. Eric Kratz is only the third ever 40-year-old to catch for the Yankees in the history of franchise. And wow. I find something incredibly endearing about a 40-year-old willing to just Strap him on and get back there, and it well, it, it really well, warms my well, heart. Jake, Jake, he ain't in the lineup for the for the for the home for the offense. All right, so he's certainly <laughs> not going to be playing as a forty year old DH. That's only Nelson Cruz. Um, so Eric Kratz, I mean, 
what the how that he keeps making his way back to the Yankees. I it's feel amazing. like every few months it's like, oh, DFA, oh, he's back. Here he is again. So yeah, I don't know. What what do you think? He's he's Davies well, Padre, I believe, right? Yeah. Davies calling him, which is yeah. amazing. I mean, and honestly, the way that Davy looked in his first start, you you kind of want to keep Kratz around for that reason, sure. right? Like, I mean, sure. you're talking about you know the organization's top prospect and him coming out of the gates the way that he did. You know, if he had given up seven runs in three innings, maybe you would have said, well, he could call him Padre. We don't need Eric Kratz here. But the fact that he came out and just shoved in his debut and obviously has this closeness with Kratz and, you know, this familiarity, and obviously it's a fun story as well, but just from a production standpoint, I think that in itself with the current, you know, roster situation makes it worth keeping Kratz around. Uh, And then I do think, there's something about just trusting the the veteran dude who you can just throw out there and you know exactly what you're going to get, right? Like, I mean, when you think about who that guy is who you want to be your third catcher in your organization, it's Eric Kratz. Like, that's who you want that guy to be. The guy who, like, yeah, he probably at peak isn't going to produce like your backup, like Kyle Higashioka would if he was healthy. But if we have to call him up here, and he has to be the backup, you know he can handle it. And then if he has to start for a week or two, well, you know he's going to do fine. You know what I mean? And he he's kind of that guy. And and you know what? I do think there's a little bit of a rallying point around him like we saw in Milwaukee with him in 2018, yeah. right? Like, I mean, people kind of get into it when they see him producing. So that combination plus Davey, I think he it, it makes him the perfect candidate to stay. He's so accessible because he's like, so many Major League Baseball players don't look or like are built like regular people. And like Eric Kratz <laughs> just gives me this vibe of like, yeah, it's Eric from work, just out there getting <laughs> playing for the Yankees. Playing for the Yankees. Um, I'm I yeah. love him. I think it's great. It, it like Eric, okay, so I have his baseball reference in front of me. He has been in the league in the league for 11 years. He's never played more than 68 games in a season. So he this is just what he does, right? And he's yeah, fresh yeah. relatively. I bet he's caught fewer games in his career than like, you know, a lot of guys. Right. Relatively. Right. Can we call him fresh? If I mean he's still a 40-year-old catcher, right? So on one hand, he's fresh because he's fresh. he hasn't played as many and yet games. Fresh. 40 yeah. but fresh. Yeah. I 40 mean, but fresh. He, yeah. He, he, he's a young like, 40. And sometimes you need like those like those momentary cult heroes throughout the oh, course of a baseball season. 100%. You probably need fewer of them, fewer of them yeah. in 60 games than you do in 162, right. but you still need them a little bit just to give you that punch and that drive. And he's that guy right now. Yeah. And look, I'm I'm knocking Kratz for his offense. And here I see that he went, he hit a thousand in 2017 with the Yankees, two for two. That's two right. plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Don't so, ever forget that. So, and he's hitting 300 this year through through 20 at bats. So again, maybe uh, maybe this is he is the offensive contributor that I said that he wasn't. Right, Ryan, we're gonna let you go in a sec. I I just want to hammer home that you people you you listen to the baseball barbecue where we do Yankees chat. We don't say Glaber Torres's name. Like I don't. I think we maybe said it once, but we're diving deep subterranean yes. into air this, this is the point we know that you can get ryan talking about brett this gardner is, elsewhere but yeah uh, yeah but but this is the this is the kratz dive that's why i'm here exactly you, exactly you know what's funny is like i, I broadcasted a bunch of those inter squad games that oh, yeah. you know the yankees were playing on yes and it, it just looked like glaber was just gonna 
absolutely mash this season, pick up where he was in October last year, right? It, that was a real surprise to me to see him come out of the gates struggling as much as he did because he looked like a dude who was just locked mm-hmm. in. And, you know, Grant, I mean, they're inter-squad games. But, you know, when you see a guy coming off of what everybody came off of, that locked in, you're like, oh, okay, he's ready. You know, so kind of surprising to see him struggle the way he did. I'll be curious to see what he's like once he's back from injury. It's okay. He's he's still two years younger than Clint Frazier and is going to be amazing for a long time. So even yeah. if he <laughs> doesn't figure yeah. it out this year, I think he's he'll be okay. Time. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, Ryan, before you go, tell us about R2C2 on the ringer. It, it, it is it yeah. is great to have you here, even though we joined the Ringer Podcast Network like three weeks before you did. <laughs> but just talk a little bit about, you know, the experience with R2C2, what you guys have in store, what you've already done, and yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, CC and I just, we love doing podcasts. Uh, and um, I think we now, we've been doing it for three years together. Uh, we started with Players Tribune, one went to Uninterrupted. Now we're at the Ringer. We're pumped about this relationship because obviously, as I'm sure part of what appealed to you guys, you know, the Ringer has this just remarkable audio infrastructure. Um, and you know, Bill Simmons is the godfather of sports podcasts. And I think that it is giving us the best chance to grow the pod, um, which is what we're excited about in addition to the partnership with Spotify and 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 you know, for us, we kind of feel like we've established a high bar for episode in, episode out. We have a really top tier consistency of guest quality, I think, too. Um, and so for us, it was like, we like what we're doing. The feedback we get is almost universally awesome, which is so hard to receive in this day and age. CC is, to me, he's just like this really unique talent because he is not afraid to speak his mind. He's just ridiculously honest, but he also creates this level of comfort for every guest who comes in. They respect his credentials. He's incredibly accomplished, but he's also raw, and he's 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 also gotten savvy to being a host as well. So I just yeah. feel like our guests come on, they respect CeCe, they enjoy his company. He has the world's greatest laugh, and they always want to come back. And so I think, you know, for us, it's just about growing it to as many people as we can because we feel good about the content we put out, and it's well received. And we think the Ringer's the best place to do that. Yeah, it's it's so true. And and having been listening since close to the beginning, like CC's the kind of player and personality. You know, you can look around the game and be like, oh, that guy will be great on TV, or oh, that guy. You don't always get that lucky, right? Those players don't always yeah. want to do it. And that's fine. That's, of course, they're right. But we've been so lucky to have CC be so public and, and want to do these things. So obviously cannot recommend that enough. Um, so yeah, uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, we will we will talk to you soon, I'm sure. And uh, hopefully all the injured Yankees are back soon for your sake. <laughs> Amen. We'll have to do a, a cross up at some point with CC as well, guys. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Thank you to Ryan for joining us. Uh, Jordan, before we get into our next segment, I'm going to take you a trip, take you on a trip down memory lane. Uh, On this date, September 3rd, nine years ago today, 
a man named Nathan Eovaldi. If you heard of Nathan Eovaldi, Jordan. Heard of him. Yeah, I've heard of him. A man named Nathan Eovaldi threw a pitch in a baseball game. And that pitch was hit over the fence for a home run by a man named Dan Agla. Jordan Schusterman, it is time for the good, the bad, and the Agla. The first second baseman in Major League history to have four 30 homer seasons, and his name is Dan Ugla. The time where we look at one good thing in baseball, one bad thing in baseball, and one very Ugla thing in baseball named after Dan Ugla. And to be clear, Ugla does not mean ugly. Ugla means a weird baseball thing that we love that is happening. Uh, It could be anything. It is an amorphous category, and we love it very much, and we love and miss Dan Ugla every day uh, as Major League Baseball fans. But let's begin with the good Jake Mintz. Would you like to start us off, or should I? I will begin. All right, let's do it. What's been good? What what, what have you seen that's been good? Uh, Jordan Schusterman, this happened, I think, over a week ago, but we didn't get a chance to do it last week, and I would like to mention it here. The Los Angeles Dodgers have been around on this earth as a baseball team for a long, long, long time. They have had many, many good baseball players over their history in both Los Angeles and in Brooklyn. And a week and a half ago, a man by the name of Clayton Kershaw became the highest wins above replacement player in Dodgers franchise history, passing Pee Wee Reese for number one on the all-time list. Now, whatever you think about war, I... I don't want to have that conversation now, but by war, Clayton Kershaw is officially the greatest Dodger of all time. Now, this does not take into account that Jackie Robinson, due to incredible racism, was only allowed to make his debut at the age of 28, and had he debuted for the Dodgers, say, at 24, like when he probably should have, he would be way past Clayton Kershaw on this list. Uh, Jackie, despite playing only 10 years, (laughs) is fifth ever on the Dodgers. Sandy Koufax, obviously very short career, high peak, didn't accumulate a lot of war. Clayton Kershaw, number one on that list. And he's been great this year. And I think a lot of people wrote him off as gone when he started declining a little bit. He's pretty much just as good. He's striking out a lot of dudes. And this to me is not as cool as a World Series. Duh. But there is something really beautiful that we can say Clayton Kershaw is statistically at least the greatest Los Angeles Brooklyn Dodger of all time. That is incredible that he has uh, managed to achieve that. And by the way, the dude's only 32. Right. <laughs> like Again, people talk about him like he's 37. He's still going to keep climbing and set the bar uh, pretty high. Uh, that is a, a pretty stunning uh, fact considering the Dodgers' history. Um, I'm going to flip this on you here quickly. If you had to pick one active Dodger to get into the top five, maybe not get to Kershaw, uh, who would you who would you pick? Because it's, I mean, I th- I think it's Bellinger is the obvious answer, but like, who are you picking to be a Dodger forever and you know get to sixty? Because okay, also Mookie's going to be there for the next twelve years, but I'm assuming he's not going to put up the same as he did in the beginning right. of his career, but maybe he will. So I would probably take, I would take. Bellinger. I think you have to take Bellinger. Yeah. But man, see if if they resign Seeger long term, it's going to be hard to Seeger against him too. Yeah. Yeah, Seeger is a good pick too. So I yeah. this but just I made that. me very happy. This was a good. Yeah, your that good? is that is very good. All right. Uh from one uh left-hander with an unbelievable curveball to another. 
I want to talk to you about Mr. Max Fried. Max Fried is my good this week because Max Fried, not only is he 6-0 undefeated, Never the, lost. Braves, the Braves are 8-0 in games that he has started. And that has been very important because as we look at the Braves in first place, we see a team that if you look at the rest of their starting pitching has been atrocious. The rest of their starters, I believe, have a combined two wins. And I know pitcher wins are dumb, but that should tell you about where they are at uh, as a franchise. Um, they, they, they call up Ian Anderson. He's been good. But Max Fried has been spectacular this year. 45 innings, 1-6-0 ERA, 6-0. I know, of course, we're going to talk about Bieber. We're going to talk about, you know, Bauer. We're going to talk about Randy Dobnak, of course. But I just, we have to give Freed his props because he's been amazing. But the number one thing that has been most incredible about Max Freed is that he is leading the majors not only in winning percentage, but in most batters face without allowing a home run. Max Freed, why haven't you allowed a homer yet? Oh, because you're really wow. freaking good. Yeah, he's way ahead of everybody else. Um, he, and honestly, impressive. He just pitched in, in, in Boston, I believe, uh, the other day and was like fine, and but didn't allow a homer, which is most important. And uh, yeah, dude, he's legit. And I just want to put some respect on Max Freed's name because they sadly lost Mike Soroka to a freak injury. Fulty was DFA'd. Kyle Wright is disappointed. All these other Cole Hamels hasn't even thrown a pitch yet for the Braves. Oof. But Max Freed is doing what he needs to do to keep the Braves in first. And uh, I wanted to give him some love. I forgot Cole Hamels was on the Braves. All right. Exactly. <laughs> Let's get bad, Jordan. Let's get bad. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what's What's been bad for you lately, Jake? Uh, Vin Scully joined Twitter. This is mm. bad. <laughs> this is a great pick. Oh, man. This and is by bad the way, th- there are a lot of people out there that would want to put this in the good category, but go ahead and explain. First of all, as two people who are borderline addicted to Twitter, it is not great for your mental health. And I, I, I do believe that this is not actually Vin Scully running this Twitter. Oh, of course. Of Obviously. Course. We know this. Vin Scully has reached a level of fame, notoriety, and accomplishments where he does not need to do this. Vin Scully does not need to be on Twitter. Is it maybe important and is going to make me happy if from time to time, like, there's a video of him talking about the Dodgers? Yeah, that's great. I love that. That's awesome. But, like, to me, Vin Scully's legacy is so sound. And, like, I don't need a video of him, like, ruining any part of that at this point in his career where like don't like the wrong tweet person running Vince Scully's account like there this is just not worth it man and Vince I Scully totally agree. Vince Scully like he won he did it he <laughs> he is the greatest announcer ever nothing he can say on Twitter is going to add to that legacy is what I would is how I would say that Get him on the Dodger broadcast if you want from time to time. Would love to have, you know, Joe Davis tweet out a video of him. I just don't need like a stream. I This is, this worries me. This is my bad. 100% agree. It's not even that like, I mean, your point that like worried about it going, you know, like sideways. Like milkshake thing. ducking himself yeah, but, later. But I'm not even, it's not even that for me. It's, it's the larger point that it's like Vince Scully does not owe us anything else. He gave us what, 60 years? How many freaking years? I mean, like, why do we need more? This, this, I know this sounds weird. 
why do we need more Vin Scully? Like he gave us I mean, everything. And yes, listen, right. obviously, uh, like you said, I would love to see videos of him telling a 90 second story about Mookie Betts or about Cody Bellinger or about freaking Eddie Stanky, <laughs> you know, like whatever. Like I, not that I'm not going to watch that and enjoy that, but like he just does not need to do this. Yeah. And who, and, and it's, it's just, it's I don't want to be negative. Like I, 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 I felt bad that I felt bad about this. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> no, but I think it's totally Vince Scully, fair get point. off Twitter, man. It's totally fair point. Uh, Vince Scully, log off. <laughs> right? Like, he, why does he have to step into the 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 freaking pool of dog shit that we do every day when we log on? Okay, that's my point, right? This shouldn't be, and obviously it's not him logging on, and he's not typing clearly, right? But still, he we didn't need he didn't need to make him do this. Okay, we we really did not. Uh, okay. I totally agree with you. That's a great pick. All right. Uh, back to the actual baseball. Uh, I am just going to quickly continue to dunk on the Texas Rangers here, who currently, Ooh. as the, if you go ahead and and look at the the team leaderboards on Fangraphs and you look at like just war by team offense, the dot, oh, the Padres are number one, 9.6. Holy shit, they're amazing. The Rangers currently sit in last at negative 2.4. Their position players have accrued negative 2.4 war this year. And this has been a, 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 the result of an offense that currently consists of Joey Gallo trying his best but still hitting 180 and nothing else. There is no one else on the Rangers that has currently been an above average hitter besides Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who is at Let's exactly go. average. And the bigger issue here, which is really why I'm bringing up the bad, is that their ballpark has apparently become the biggest pitcher's ballpark in the entire league. Wow. And that is a stunning turnaround for a team that was playing in one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks for the last however many years. And is most relevant, not to super get into this now, but this sounds like where we're going to be playing some neutral site postseason games. And I'm mm. not going to love that if there are no home runs hit in the postseason because everyone is playing in this giant Costco known as Globe Life Field. This is exactly what happens in the College World Series when they go to Omaha and the TD Ameritrade ballpark is like way too big for college baseball players and no one hits home runs. I agree with you. I don't want it to turn into like 2017 Game 5 Dodgers Astros dong fest. Right. But at the same time, like, give me some homers. Right. Also, right. put Joey Gallo in the most offensive ballpark. I don't need I him know. hitting in a underwater. And I know that the Rangers also just don't have very many good hitters, and that's part of why they have the historically disastrous numbers right now. Um, but like the ballpark is a problem, and it's yeah. more than just what it looks like. So that's my bad. What is your ugly this week, Jake Mintz? My ugly this week, Jordan, is Albert Pujols. Now uh, baseball fans may know that Albert Pujols is at time of recording one home run behind literally Willie Mays on the all-time list. And that's monumentous. That's not a word. But it, no, but but you know it what is. I mean. We're, we're making a word for the, how important I mean. that is. Yes. That's cool. But I want to talk today about something that you and I have been following for a long time, Jordan. Albert Pujols' double plays grounded into... Uh, he is already the all-time leader, the Barry Bonds of double plays. He has 397, and he is three away from hitting the 400 double plays grounded into Mark, which would put him in a category all by himself, the only member of the 400 grounded into double plays, 600 home run club. Incredible stuff. I love this. 400, 600 club. <laughs> 400, yes. 600 club. I love this for so many reasons. 
Um, because the best, sorry, the top of this list, like this leaderboard, they're all incredible players. Um, you have to basically be a Hall of Famer to play long enough to accumulate enough double plays. The top of this list is Pujols, Ripken, Pudge, Hank Aaron, Old Yaz, Miguel Cabrera, Dave Winfield, Eddie Murray, Jim Rice. Julio Franco is 10th on this list and the first guy not in the Hall of Fame or it won't be in the Hall or like, you know, Pujols and Cabrera getting in. And I think... That 400 double plays grounded into should be looked at like a celebration of longevity, not like an ineptitude thing. And I want the ball. I know that that ball will just go back to the pitcher and Pujols will job to the dugout and the Angels will lose seven to two in that game. But I want that ball. And if anyone on the Angels is listening or anyone on the team that gets this, gets Pujols to double into this ground, this ground ball double play, I want the ball. It or someone should have it. Like this should be a part of history. Too often baseball history only keeps the good stuff in the Hall of Fame. This is a good thing, but it's not explicitly good. Anyway, Albert Pools, 400 double play watch. Keep an eye on it. I love it. You know, it's one of my favorite things. Uh of course, tragically, uh double plays were not tracked until 1935, which was Babe Ruth's last season. It's possible Babe Ruth had a bunch of these as well, but I feel better uh, as a right-handed hitter that Pujols is, in fact, the all-time leader and the only gentleman on this earth with 400 double plays grounded into at the top level uh, of, of baseball. Like I always think about how it's like, oh, of course, Barry Bonds is home run king, but I know in the back of my head that Sadaharu O has over 800 home runs. Like I, I know that, right? But like I feel that right. Pujols truly is the global leader. So I love that. Uh, all right, I'm going for my ugly this week. I'm going uh, to go a little bit more positive here. Uh, another gentleman whose major league career began in St. Louis, Zach Gallen. Remember Zach Gallen was actually drafted by the Cardinals. He's been traded twice. Do you mean Zach Galifianakis? No, I don't mean Zach Gallen, Fanakis. I mean Zach Gallen, <laughs> the gentleman who since he debuted last June 2019, the fifth lowest ERA in baseball behind only mm. Jack Flaherty, Jacob DeGrom, Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber. Those pitchers are pretty good. But the most incredible thing about Zach Allen is two things. One, he is currently still in the middle of a streak of most consecutive starts to start a career with three earned runs or less. He has made 23 starts and he has yet to allow more than three earned runs and that is a major league freaking record. Now, the thing about this record that is particularly ugly is that the record who he broke was Aaron Seeley, <laughs> who had the record at 21 or 22. And that makes it both maybe more of a lame record, but also more of a, holy shit, nobody has done this because everybody has a bad start at some point. And that streak alone caught my eye. But the most amazing thing about Zach Allen, 23 starts into his career, is that this dude, and we had another great example of it on Wednesday night against the Dodgers, has gotten Felix and DeGrom levels of run support to the mm. point where his career win record, and I know I keep, I don't know, why am I talking about so many pitchers? A lot of wins, pitcher wins today. A lot of pitcher wins today. Why am I talking about this? He's four and six in his career through 23 starts without allowing more than three runs. That Amazing. is fucking crazy. That is, he's one and oh this year despite leading the league in innings pitched and throwing eight awesome outings. Like, 
what? Like, and I know the D-backs and he was on the Marlins who were obviously very bad, but like, this is stunning. And I just, I know no one cares because the D-backs are bad and it's not, he's not, he's not going to be Jacob DeGrom level famous no matter what. But like, he has been the one of the 10 best pitchers in the league since he came up and no one gives a shit. And I just want to say that that's amazing. <laughs> um, so that even more than the Bieber. king. Does that make him the king? From uh, Felix? I mean, honestly, as long as Felix is not pitching, like he's he's right there, man. Um, and, and and I know it's different because the Mets have actual good hitters who can score runs. They just don't score runs. This is closer yeah. to Felix because the Mariners didn't have anybody to score runs. So it's more more related. But man, Zach Gallen, what a thing. What a thing. Very ugly. Uh, transitioning, talking about the Mets. Uh, Tom Seaver, Mets icon, passed away on Wednesday at the age of 75. No doubt the greatest Met of all time, easily a top 10 pitcher in baseball history. Uh, and we're just going to, I mean, the type of career, the type of life that deserves to be honored. And we have Bobby Wagner hopping on, our producer and a, a professional Mets fan. Uh, Bobby, you were born, I believe, in 1996. Can you confirm that? Indeed. That is what my birth certificate so, says. That is what it says. Uh so you never actually got to watch Tom Seaver pitch, but despite that, he still means a lot to you as a Mets fan. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah. So when you're a kid and you know you have your fandom passed down, you start to make connections with the current team. I start to make connections with Al Leiter, with Tom Glavin, and you start to think, oh, there must have been guys before this. And you go back and your natural inclination is to go back to the last time the Mets won the World Series. You go to 86, you see Gooden, and you're like, wow, this is momentous. This must have been a thing. And it was in 85 when Gooden was yeah. basically unhittable for an entire year. And then they won the World Series the following year. So you can imagine my surprise when you go all the way back to 1969, when the Mets were less than a decade removed from being the worst team in baseball, maybe the worst team of all time in their first year in 1962. And this guy, Tom Seaver, is just tearing through the league, winning 25 games, coming very close to winning MVP as a pitcher, and winning the Mets the World Series. So he was almost like a fairy tale figure to me. And you start to look more and more into it. You go to the baseball reference page, and it's just a, a comedy of accomplishments. I mean, 61 yes. complete game shutouts for his career. This dude at age 40 pitched 238 innings with the 317 ERA. Like, I'm sitting here recording this podcast right now with a heating pad on my back because I've been editing too many pods. And this guy at age 40 won 16 games for the White Sox. We use the term legend a lot. Like, oh, this dude's a legend. But, like, this guy was a legend by right. year three of his career. He was the Miracle Mets. Obviously, they traded him away. And it was, I think, like a pre-Wilpon move, almost. Yeah. Like a foundational move for the Mets that created a lot of predecessor a lot of yes exactly a spiritual predecessor to the Wilpons um what what am I going to say that someone who did watch him could not say and there are plenty of resources that you can go to see that I would suggest that I would suggest that people go read Michael Bauman's obituary of him on the ringer which was fantastic and talked a lot about you know not only what he did on the field but how universally beloved he was, how kind of taken for granted he was as evidenced by the fact that the Mets traded him away and let him walk again in 1983 and talked a little bit about all of his contributions to the labor movement and his, his work in the players union. Mm -hmm. um, the last thing that I want to say, since we're not doing, sorry for your mentions this week, 
is a little bit of a historical sorry for your mentions. And I'm pulling this from, uh, from a Newsday article in 2017. Ooh, oh, I'm excited for this. <laughs> we were not prepared for this, folks. So, Bobby, it's, it's just brief. It's just brief. It's the original sorry for your mentions to the Mets. This okay. is from Stephen Marcus in Newsday. Seaver's departure was a seismic event that lit up the Shea Stadium switchboard with calls from angry fans shaken by the trade of the team star who had won three Cy Young awards. So that <laughs> night, the Midnight Massacre trade, people literally just. They didn't know what to do. They were so mad they couldn't tweet at Mets. So they just picked up their Amazing. phone, called the operator, and said, send me to Shea Stadium, sir or ma'am. And I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts. Amazing. The, ori- ah, the, original, the, original, the original sorry replies. for your mentions. Oh, my God. Except this not sorry great. because you deserve all of those phone calls. for Yeah. Tom the, I don't want to get into the specifics of what happened to Tom Seaver, but the gist of it is that the the ownership group, the management group of the Mets disrespected the shit out of him and Seaver was like, trade me. It wasn't yes. even like Seaver going, I'm signing elsewhere. He felt disrespected enough where he demanded a trade as maybe the greatest pitcher of all time to that point in baseball history. And then the last thing I, I would like to bring up about, about Seaver, Bobby, is just the butterfly effect of baseball history. 1966, he signs a professional contract out of college with the Braves, okay? Because of some weird technicality, that contract gets voided by the commissioner of baseball. And it ends up going to like a lottery system to determine who gets to have the rights to sign Seaver. Comes down to the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves, and the Mets win it. They sign him. He becomes the greatest player in franchise history, right? But like, if the ping pong balls go the other way, Tom Seaver, Braves legend. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, please don't put that into my world. R.I.P. Tom Seaver, the truest of Mets legends, the truest of baseball yeah. legends, and uh, I think deserving of the send-off of this podcast. A hundred percent. Jordan, so he's, we, we, we've, we've talked about this. Like He is in the group of like 10, 11 pitchers who you, who you can say he's the greatest pitcher of all time, and I will not argue with you. Um, he's in that group. He's firmly in that group. No doubt Hall of Famer. And to that point, at the time, there were even fewer pitchers who were ever at his level, right? So if you can, if you want to include the Clemens, Maddox, Johnson, Pedro after Tom Seaver, they were not around. They didn't exist yet. So there were an even shorter list of guys that you could imagine ever being better than Tom Seaver when he was pitching. And I, I also love that Seaver in 1986 is on the Red Sox with a young Roger Clemens, they end up playing the Mets. Seaver gets hurt, doesn't play in the World Series. But he's there. He's there when the Mets win in 86. And I just think that is so serendipitous and wild. I think the thing that I love most about going back through baseball history is that everybody that you know currently, you can almost weave a path back to the legends from the 60s. And Seaver is such an important stitch in that cloth, so to speak, where like exactly like you're saying, Jake, he's on the bench, probably coaching up Roger Clemens, who is a young fire thrower who dominated the league that year, much like Seaver did when he was very young. Right. And um, watching the Mets win their second World Series and the last World Series that they would win for, I don't know, maybe 100 years. Who knows? But he's one of the few people who is in the building for both of those. Yes. I bet. Yes. Recipes, Tom Seaver. Uh, all right, Jordan, let's finish this off with our moment of joy for the week. 
you have something that particularly tickles your fancy. Tell me about it. Yeah, so we we talked earlier about the Phillies' amazing rejuvenation, um, and uh, something that I, I've kind of known about, but I, I didn't really understand the scale to it until uh, Sunday Night Baseball this past week, which is the uh, the quote unquote pandemic crew, which is a group of what appears to be fifty or so Phillies fans who, for every Phillies home game, is standing outside the gates with air horns just going absolutely nuts for the entirety of the game. And the reason why this struck me particularly, one was that I have not seen this executed at other ballparks. It's, I'm sure it is happening at other stadiums, and I don't want right. to be like the Phillies fans are best. But watching them be so crazy in a game that they were down 10 to nothing in the second inning and watching them rally back, they end up losing the game, was a great reminder that there are just insane baseball fans. And even if Phillies fans are obnoxious when you talk to them, Watching that uh, very basically gave me a lot of joy and reminded me that people freaking love baseball and they love their team. And even if you're standing outside, barely being able to see the field, you can still be going crazy. And I just love that. So shouts out to the pandemic crew because I think it's great. And I think other sports, particularly like soccer, right? There's more of like the or even, you know, American football. It's like, oh, that's the crazy fan. They paint their chest and they you know, they're screaming and they have an outfit or whatever. And in baseball, we don't always have that just because the game has more lulls. But to see like the 50 biggest Phillies fans in the area congregating outside together at one point is great and hammers home that we need more super fan sections like the seven line has Mm -hmm. in City Field where like, give me the 80 biggest Tigers fans together at Comerica in one section. Now, is that sad when they're like awful? Yeah. But like when a team's doing well, that's one of the coolest things in sports. We need more of it. Exactly. So I I enjoyed that. And even if people are annoyed by the air, constant air horns during Philly's home games, which it is admittedly a little annoying. I respect the hell out of it. I think it's hilarious and good for them. And now they're playing well. So it's, you know, it's extra cool. Got anything um, else right. this week, Jordan? Anything? No, that is it. Uh, thank you to Ryan Rucco for talking to us about the Yankees. Uh, thank you to Bobby Wagner for talking to us about the Mets, as always, um, and Tom Seaver. Um, we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, we'll see. It's Labor Day, so we got some stuff in the works in terms of what the podcast will look like, but we will definitely, be, at the very least, be back next Thursday with a regular pod. Uh, any final things, Jake Mintz? This Saturday, Jordan, is the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken Jr. tying Lou Gehrig on the all-time list for consecutive games played, 21-30. And everyone's going to tell you, oh, Sunday's more important when he passed Gehrig, 21-31, September 6th. Ignore them because Saturday, September 5th, is the important day, Jordan, 25 years since Cal Ripken tied Lou Gehrig. Have a good weekend, everybody. Oh, and it's my birthday. It's It's Jake's birthday. That's why it matters. Sorry, Cal. It's all about Saturday, not Sunday. Yes, we will obviously be celebrating that on Twitter.com. Thank you, everybody. Have a good weekend. Goodbye. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. 
I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. 